All right, back to our reading. The uh, earlier in chap in Luke's gospel, he casts out demons out of a man, and you might remember it's a famous story where the demons went into the pigs, and more than two thousand pigs go crazy, run over a cliff, and die in the water. So demon casting was a central part of Jesus' ministry from the beginning of his call. And it was this power that he then passed on as well to his disciples. So now after years of ministry like this, his opponents, his opposition, is standing against this activity and they're taking a new tactic. And they label Jesus as one of Satan's minions, if you can imagine that. As if he was the devil himself. Now, we know in our own hearts that we can be wickedly bad. Sometimes I think we surprise ourselves, don't we? So if someone accused you of being in bed with Beelzebub, there might be some truth as it's applied to us. But it was never true for Jesus, whose motivations and actions were always above reproach. His actions from the beginning Dale, with all those words in the Gospels, always had one intent, to act consistently with the character of God. Jesus is the image of God. His actions were motivated by truth and beauty and goodness. And the results of those actions resulted in truth and beauty and goodness. And so in verse 17 of our text, Jesus says that he knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. He reasons with the language that was made famous by a speech. You know what the speech might be? It was a speech by Abraham Lincoln. It was called the house divided speech that was an address given when he was a senatorial candidate and prior to being president. There's a little section of that speech, I just want to read it. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free, this is just prior to the Civil War. I do not expect the Union to be dissolved, I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will either become all one thing or all the other. It makes sense. 
Jesus is saying, like, wise, if I'm evil, then why am I casting out evil? That makes no sense. And so verse 18, he says this. If Satan is divided against himself, how can the kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Still with me? Verse 20 then. Jesus uses an intriguing term that I believe for his opponents would only have sealed the hostility of the opposition. He says this, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that term, finger of God, is from the book of Exodus in the story of the plagues. And it was the magicians of Egypt who saw the supernatural power and authority of Israel's God and first used that term, the finger of God. And here Jesus unapologetically uses it about himself. I think this would have only added fuel to the fire. So then in verse 23, he says this. Whoever is not against me, is not, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He seems to get very serious here, implying that he... At suggesting that he was from the devil didn't sit well. The message translation puts it this way, and I think you'll get it. This is war. And there's no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. And if you're not helping, you're making things worse. If you're standing in the way of healing, of truth, beauty, and goodness, if you're standing in the way of the restoration in people's lives, if you are blocking God's goodness and peace and love and somehow preventing it from bearing fruit in the lives of others, you are the enemy. There's no middle ground. And then Jesus immediately goes into this story, and this is where we'll focus for just a minute. We'll read it this time. Thank you, Emma, for your reading from the message. When a corrupting spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unsuspecting soul that can bedevil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my old haunt. On return, it finds the person swept and dusted, but vacant. It then runs out and rounds up seven other spirits, dirtier than itself. And they all move in, whooping it up. That person ends up far worse than if he'd never gotten cleaned up in the first place. Jesus, casting out demons, now pictures the world of spirits, and he tells about this spirit coming out of a person, but that isn't enough. That's not the end. While the person may be relieved and happy that the spirit is gone, it is planning another attack, 
and notice how the Spirit sees it. I'll return to the house I left. In other words, I own that house. I'm going back home and I'll bring my family. So this entire teaching prompts an observing woman to be completely enamored with Jesus' approach to things and she shouts out good things at the end of our text in verse 27 and as Jesus was saying these things a woman in the crowd called out this is verse 27 blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you and then he replied in verse 28 Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, as we listen to your word, on the one hand, it seems so far from our day-to-day thinking and culture and way of looking at life and yet on another level it is so near open our hearts to the applications from your word in Jesus amen what do we do with this passage so I'm out uh, golfing this week sharing with the guys how I'm struggling in the middle of the week here with this passage in a world of demons that seems so far. And uh, anyone who has played golf knows that there are some demons leaking, lurking at any hole, and we certainly experience that. But somehow, while the gospel of Jesus seems very close, this passage, and as we've committed to reading through the gospel and not skipping sections, the temptation again was to skip this section. However, it feels a bit alienate to, uh, to us, but my commitment was not to pick and choose, and so here we are. And I'm recalling this study a story to my cart buddy who was uh, Eric McPherson uh, that, uh, at the time and how I got these three verses about sweeping out the demon and cleaning the house and the demons return and bring seven other golfing buddies. Okay, And this reminded me of the story itself of sort of the classic teenage party that starts small and then everybody... In the high school, hears that there's a party at the Andersons' house, and their parents are out of town, and soon that house is a disaster. And it's the neighbor who has to call the cops, you know that one. And Eric says, Well, it, this reminds me of the therapy principle that we can't just remove a bad habit, but we have to replace it with something good. It's true in the 12-step program, isn't it? This seems to be the psychological equivalent to Jesus' teaching. What is swept clean needs to be filled wisely. So in one sense, we could say, okay, we've got Elsa in Frozen saying, let it go. And that's a nice start. We let the demons gone. We swept the house. 
Bad habits get cleaned up, but they must be followed up with this positive replacement for lasting change. So now put up the picture of my golf ball there. On that same round of golf, I pulled out a used golf ball, and on my Titleist 22, there was this little phrase. It said, win the day. And it reminded me of, of a book by Mark Batterson called Win the Day, and the book is not about demons, per se. But it is about filling your life with God-sized goals, which I believe is what Jesus is driving toward. In order to prevent the demons from returning, the question needs to be, how do you fill your house with the things of God? My next few thoughts are along that line, some taken from Batterson's book, Win the Day. Here's number one. To fill your house, you must jump into God's story. This is the first thing. It is about getting your life in the right story, in the right framework. The problem with the man who had only cleaned his house is that he knew what he was against. He did not know what he was for. And as the message said earlier, there is no such thing as being in neutral. Throwing out the bad junk is the start but we must fill it with the story of God. This is what David did consistently. I love that section in the Psalms where he preaches to his own soul again and again and again so that he could be a part of the right story. And we do this in a lot of different ways, but I want to use that word jump into the story of faith, the adventure of, the, of God's life. And I want, to, I want to ask you to think about for just a moment what might be a word or two words or a phrase or a line that you could carry with you, that you might, maybe you already do this, to, to remind yourself of the story you're in. Because as Dale pointed out earlier, the Bible is filled with lots of words. We can't keep them all in our mind. But what is it that reminds you each day of the story, of the fact that you're chosen by God, of the fact that you're committed to being this person of love, that you're part of the story of redemption, I like the title of the book that uh, some of the women have read or are reading, inspired by Rachel Held Evans. She calls it Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. That's being a part of the story. That's a good demon prevention plan. So first we get into the story. Number two, to fill your house then determine your part in God's story. And I think some of this we have to do daily. I mean, I think we might do it in some big ways 
at certain times in our life and we get recommitted or we get committed for the first time, make a first pledge to the, being a part of the story. But I believe this has to then happen daily because we can lose focus so quickly. So we determine your part in God's story. The uh, ISV version for Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 puts it this way. For we are God's masterpiece. Created in the, in the Messiah Jesus to perform good actions that God prepared long ago to be our way of life. We are these image bearers. So there's no one role necessarily. I mean, some of we've got mothers and we've got fathers and we've got grandmas and we've got teachers, we've got students, we've got coaches. Thinking about Jim Griffith, he's got a new role, seems like, over the last few months. He's been the driver of cars across the country for people. And he's done this several times for different people. Ron Oreck got a new role here at the church as pickleball coordinator. You know, I was thinking about Shannon Miller and her story and as a nurse practitioner and and her right away Shannon spoke up on our new member orientation and I want to said I want to be involved in urban ministry that's my interest I don't know what your role is some had roles this past week at vacation Bible school I I was so happy to have my role on Wednesday night it was my job was to hand out the pop tart planets and, and then we made constellations, and that was fun. And I made the Big Dipper out of pretzels and marshmallows. And it was so great because I, I held it up so the kids would have an idea, and almost everybody in the room knew it was either the Big or Little Dipper. And I didn't know which one it was, so it didn't matter which one they answered on that. In fact, as we follow up in, on this theme congregationally and as you think about your role and the role that you play within God's story I want to I say that on September 24th coming up a couple months from now in October 1 we are going to have a ministry fair and we're going to have booths or uh, tables lined up all the way in, in the foyer here and down the hall for those two weeks. And the ministry leaders will be at the tables. And again, it's to see all the work that's being done in this congregation. But in addition to that, it's to provide opportunity for you to say, hey, I want to sign up for that, and I want to be a part of that ministry. Martin Luther King Jr. read this quote this past week, said this, if it falls your lot to sweep streets in life, sweep like Michelangelo pictures. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Jump into God's big story. 
Find and define your place. If you're struggling with that, I know at times I feel like I've, even as a minister, struggled with knowing my role in some detail. We can pray with you. We'll talk about that together. Number three, as we fill our life, your house, choose daily God habits. This is not a one-time thing. Remember our section just above this and the first part of Luke 11. I'm so amazed how the scripture all holds together. First part of Luke 11 says, give us our daily bread. It doesn't say, Lord, give us our bread for a month. Give me the bread for the next week or for the next year. It's one day at a time. It's not just for Alcoholics Anonymous. It is the wisdom principle for those who fill their house with God. Daily nourishment. If we look at Jesus' prayer right above this, it's forgiveness daily. Managing your anger daily. What does the scripture say? Do not worry. Let today's problems take care of themselves. Whether it's scripture, whether it's conversation with others, whether it is silence, whether it's writing or reading or serving, there's one goal. It's one brick at a time. Now, as we bring this to a close, as I was thinking about this idea, the demon's been swept, we're filling ourselves, we're filling the vessel, we're filling the house with these God, daily God habits. I noticed something else. At every key turning point in Jesus' story, It is initiated by God's Spirit. Go back and read at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke and Luke at Jesus' birth, 135, at his baptism in chapter 3, at his temptation in chapter 4. This is true then later in the book of Acts as the church gathers. At happens again at the mission of the church to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Every pivotal point of decision is marked by the experience of the Spirit of God. So I think it's appropriate again here and if you notice where Emma began in our text for those of you who were really paying attention last week, she started with the same verse that ended last week's text. It was from Luke chapter 11, 
verse 13. We'll go ahead and put that scripture up there. This week, on about Tuesday of this week, Peggy texted me. Might have been Wednesday. I think it was one Wednesday morning. And she said, I have shared this scripture with a ton of people this week. And not only did that, this verse finish last week's message as the culminating idea, I suggest that as it leads off this section, it also then fills in what we most need to fill the house of God, your life. Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The message this morning, what story, what part, what daily actions. I invite you to be intentional, to be God's masterpiece, to be filled with the Spirit, to fill the house, to win the day.